Okay, how you doing, everybody? Welcome to another exciting episode of the John Riley Project. This is episode number 73, and we are going to talk about the whole secrets of buying a custom car. We're going to talk about hidden tricks and, and behind the scenes, behind the curtains process of buying a custom Corvette, a custom Mercedes. And we got two gentlemen here that are joining us. Um, Mike Polite, one of San Diego's most popular car guys, and my old friend Pete Neald. And his car, the Calypso, the Corvette C7. We had the Corvette Happiness podcast. Right. And Pete went through his process, but there were parts of that podcast. We didn't answer all the questions. We didn't really get all the way through it. So we brought Mike in, and Mike has so much to offer. And boy, we're going to explore this topic. We'll see where we go. Mike is the necessary ingredient for this whole thing. Is um, In Corvette Happiness, for two hours, we touched on things called allocations and constraints. And that's the, that's the dealership car manufacturer secrets, okay, that the general public does not know. Mm-hmm. They're not going to tell you about it. Now, fortunately, Mike and I became good friends. He sold me Calypso. Okay, okay, you're the. Uh, <laughs> this is the guy that sold, signed the dotted line okay. at the end of a very. Look, long you see process. where you started. There were a lot of people involved. I just, I was the guy with the the last bit of signatures. That's right. That happened <laughs> with that. There's um, there's a few people who were involved with the, uh, yeah. the beginning of that process and through the middle of that process and. Uh, yeah. I picked up the mantle somewhere uh, before Calypso actually got built. Um, and then I think I've been carrying it since. Yep. Yeah, since yep. after. You've I think had we, the five-year burden. Yeah, we, I, I got stuck <laughs> with you uh, since then. But it's been cool because um, Pete shows up to car shows when I need him to or whatever it is that I'm I'm doing. If ever I need somebody to just show up out of the blue with a Corvette, I can call Pete, and he's usually able to hop on the highway and, and meet me wherever I am. Still got to do a one-on-one against AMG. But we'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that. All right. Um, if you don't mind, I'm I'm going to kick this off with the stuff that I missed in Corvette Happiness. Okay. Right? And uh, in that, I showed this book, okay, which is my order number to Vin. <laughs> I remember this. All right. This is great. So this, this represents about 10 months of activities, mm-hmm. okay, that came in after the research. Once I'd made up my mind to buy Calypso, and Bill Stringfellow told me, Pete, just buy the goddamn thing, you know, and I asked him why, and he says, because you're going to spend a long time dead. And, he, <laughs> and he's right. right. I mean, this, this, is, yeah. this is my last chance to buy a custom-built Corvette. Mm-hmm. Something that came out of my dreams, which I talked about in the podcast about the cross-country trip. Yeah. And it, it started in the Lincoln High School parking lot. Me and my stupid 64 Chevy Biscayne four-door brown. <laughs> you know, I worked to the point in my life where I could do a Corvette. So, I got post-its now. So I can go to the spot that kicks off this uh, whole thing. And this is something where Mike's going to help out because he knows what happens in all these different steps in the process. I made the decision to buy. I went through the search for the dealership. And you want to, when you're going to buy a custom-built car, you got to go find the dealership with a large enough allocation. Okay, that's a key word, right? Allocation. That's a key word. That's an important word. Yeah. you got to find the dealership with the proper amount of allocation, which is worked out between the dealership and the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once you go into that dealership and you put your deposit down, all right, to hold a car, that's order status of uh, 1,000. Okay. Okay. From that, you now have the option list of what's going to make this a custom car for you. Okay. And you work on that. And I worked on it for two months, all right? So I went from 1,000 
to 1100 in a two-month time frame, all on me and talking to your predecessors, the people that right. <laughs> finally threw in the towels that oh, I can't help this guy. <laughs> you know? But that was a two-month time frame. Then 1101 is when I go in and I place the order. So those, those numbers, 1101, that's like the, the stage of the process. Stage of the process. Okay, cool. Right. These are actually official order numbers, too. So this is how you, when we go into the system and we're looking up by Pete, we can actually see what stage he's in yeah. or what stage his car is in by that order number. So we know, okay, this guy has a deposit in or we have a car allocated for him. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. So it took me two months to go from 1000 to 1100 Then from that point, once the order was placed, it took six months to go from 1100 to 2000 Six months? Six months because of allocation and constraint, the way those two things work. Okay, let, let's let's roll this back. Okay, let, what is? Can we define terms here? What does allocation mean? Okay, so the simplest way I could put allocation is this is the manufacturer doing their math on what they think a specific dealership is going to be able to sell and saying, this is how many cars you're going to get. For some dealers, it's hundreds, thousands. For other dealers, it's a handful. It's based on what may have happened in the past, how they order other units, other cars, how many, their overall volume with units. But that word allocation is is simply put the manufacturer's number of cars that they are going to provide to that specific dealership. Hmm. So can the dealership sort of play the game and try to increase their allocation by doing certain performance benchmarks, selling a certain number of cars? Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a number of different ways you can you can play that game. Um, I was at a dealer that had a large allocation and needed more. So they actually, part of their thing was they actually went and bought allocation from other dealerships that were underperforming. So those stores that had a handful here, handful there, they would actually go and buy their allocation. So it's like buying carbon credits or something like that. Right. Yeah. So 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 that yeah. they would be able to bring in and and order those cars oh, okay. as well. So those are just independent deals that dealerships do amongst themselves and that the manufacturer allows that marketplace to occur. Right. But the manufacturer is aware of it yeah. as well. So your your handful allocation, you're not going to be able to pretend like you sold it all. Right. Okay. They're, the manufacturer is going to know that you you effectively traded or whatever it is that you did to give that allocation to another dealer yeah. that may be in a, a better market position. Or, you know, the Corvette wasn't selling everywhere in the country incredibly well like it was here in Southern California. So uh, being in Southern California, I, I was fortunately at a dealership that needed more allocation and was pulling cars in that way. Okay. So you're working deals with other dealers. Right. Okay. Cool. This is before the cars are built or on the ground. Right. This is just, hey, we we have more orders than we can handle. Would you, do you, do you have orders? Well, we have maybe one guy who might want one. And so, well, let us buy those other ones from you. Mm -hmm. So, and the dealers, they want to keep the lights on. They want to be able to keep things going. Let me ask you, how much does that usually cost to buy an allocation? I don't know. I I wasn't part of those negotiations. I got to see the results of it, which was we got all of a sudden more allocation. Yeah. Um, And it was because we were talking to different dealers and and able to pull those types of things. Right. So the dealer that sold it, you know, they're not going to sell those cars anyway. So now they're getting some cash. Right. And then you... You make an investment in the allocation, but you're going to sell more cars, so you come out ahead, too. Right. Yeah, right. that makes sense. So it, it could be cash. It could be consideration for dealer trades for other units. You know, you the Silverado is a is a high-gross vehicle, and it does well in other parts of the country. So if they need more Silverados over there than, than you can sell in your little corner of Southern California, then maybe the deal includes we're going to send you a bunch of our Silverados if you send us a few of your Corvettes. So GM tries to set the allocation the way they think the market's going to be, 
but then they're not perfect. They can't get it exactly right. And so right. then the dealers kind of optimize it amongst themselves. So they use sales history in order to set the allocation. Okay. So if you if you if your store wasn't selling a bunch of Corvettes, you're not going to suddenly get a bunch of Corvettes now that there's a new Corvette coming out. Um, the fact that you were a Corvette superstore for a period of time with the previous generation bodes really well for the likelihood of you getting a whole bunch of Corvettes that when the next one comes out. So this is what makes it gives established dealers certain advantages and new guys have to struggle to work their way up the food chain, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. One thing I want to interject here, another reason for this podcast, C7s are done. Right. There are no more C7s. There we have one right here. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the C8 is coming out. Yeah. And about two to three weeks ago, the magazines were starting to write articles about all the C8s have been sold. All right. And I, no, they have not been sold. All right. People have put deposits on cars. Right. But those cars don't exist yet. They haven't been specified as to what option, what color, what feature set comes with them. Right, but okay. they've been earmarked to certain customers. There's a deposit somewhere yeah. in the country, sufficient number of them that the production could be spoken for. Now, there's going to be bunches of people that drop out. Oh, yeah, they always do. All right. I mean, I came really close to pulling my deposit out at the 11th hour, mm -hmm. all right, because of other things that were going on in the family at the time. I, I have a friend of mine. You he, never knew that. <laughs> You're scaring me here. <laughs> a friend of mine, he had a deposit on a Tesla, and then he withdrew it. Yeah. You know, the circumstances in your family and personal life change. The number I'm hearing, yeah. okay, is that maybe 70% will be pulling their orders. 70? Yeah. It's a huge number. I don't give it much credit, but that's the number I've heard. That seems really people. high. Yeah. It is it, way high. Because it's such a... When people are buying a custom car, man, they're making a big personal commitment. They're, yep. it's like it's like planting your flag on your religion. You know, it's yeah. like you're really believing in this. Yeah, and seventy percent would just pull the plug. Yeah, wow. So now we're at that time frame right now. I mean, I've got friends who have already had phone calls to go down. The option list is out. The price list is out. They're going down and they're converting it. From a deposit only. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, in the book. Just stick this in there. Pete, you are amazing. All right. This is. Yeah. Um, oh, May. I skipped right up to May. But this is the list that Mike was talking about before. This is their allocation list. And at that particular moment in time, in May, mm -hmm. all right, I was number six. This is their all air allocation. That's your allocation. That looks really familiar. I haven't looked at that in that a long time. <laughs> so is this like the... I'm going to have nightmares tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So is, but, that like, is that like the order of the people waiting in line to get their car? That's how many people had... All the way down here where you see the price. Yeah. Okay. They have placed orders. Okay, this is this is further down than just these a deposit. are the allocations. Look at the number. Uh -huh. There are twenty three people on this list for right? this one dealer. From this one dealer. From this particular dealer. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I happen to be number six at that moment in time. All right, but that changes on the other factor, which we've got to define is constraint. Constraints. <laughs> okay, so. It's no secret that manufacturers, especially very large manufacturers like General Motors, don't make all the parts that go in their cars. Right. There's shared parts among all the manufacturers. For example, this is why we're dealing with this Takata airbag thing still. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because and it's, and it, it's across manufacturers. Everybody from Mercedes-Benz and, and, and Bentley and those guys all the way to, to Toyota and Honda are dealing with Takata airbag issues. So when it comes to things that go in a car, there are sometimes supply chain issues. So if you, in your ordering guide, you make, for example, red stitching an option for the seats, but the red stitches supplier gets beat up in a hurricane. 
Yeah, or they got a big baseball order. <laughs> right. So, something <laughs> that happens. Takes a, oh, yeah, I understand. That, that yeah. makes it so that, that GM can't get a hold of those that supply. Yeah, yeah. If your order has that in there, you're not going to get your car until you either change it or that supplier is able to provide that part. So that's the constraint. That's where constraints come in. It, it can happen with third-party suppliers or it can happen with just the manufacturer can't keep up with demand on right. a particular thing. Um, between the manual and automatic transmission for a while, there's if, if you're ordering a car and it's a, a automatic transmission, you're not going to get it. If it's a manual, I could have it here in 30 days. It just really depends on what the manufacturer is going through and the third-party suppliers are right, going through and, right, and right. all of those types of things. So that's where the constraint part comes in. My, my constraint was the Z51 option, the option set that um, you needed to have to do track time. Right? Not everybody orders a Z51 because they're not going to put their car on a racetrack. Mm-hmm. I was one of those. They underestimated how many Z51s they were going to sell. So I was on constraint for a long goddamn so time. So tell me again, what does Z- Z51 mean? Z51 is an option set. Okay, it has to deal with suspension. It has to deal with the differential. Uh, it has to do. There's a lot of different factors. A different computer for road handling. Okay, there was a lot of things in the Z51 option. So there's a wheel package. Yeah. Um, Tires. There was, yeah, tires. Um, the dry sump oiling system yep. was the important one because if you were on a track, say you're, you're on a banked track going 160 miles an hour around the corner and all the oil in your engine is sloshed to one side for an extended period of time, well, oh. now you're you're running dry for yeah. a little while there. Yeah. Right? So the dry sump oiling system prevents that type of thing. So ah. guys like Pete, who, who does 120 around corners just on the way to work, <laughs> yeah, he, he needs to make sure he's got oil, uh, oil yeah. on the on the whole engine and not with it all sloshed to one side. 11 quarts of it. So right. a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> I remember back when I was a kid, there was the, was it the Camaro and it was a Z28. Yes. All right. So it's the same kind of idea. It's like an options package that right. has additional parts, accessories, features that are right. that are prepackaged. Okay, gotcha. So, getting back to the con- how constraint works with allocation, I was number six on the list. Okay, but because I was on constraint, I kept bumping down and people who were uh, behind me yeah. would be moved up because they could get the cars. Now, one thing you didn't bring up, how often are allocations determined? Um, monthly. Okay, that's the answer. So monthly. every month, the allocation number for that dealership would change. All it's right? how many more orders you can take. Yes, what you can what you can do as a but dealer. Ju- but during that month, the allocation assignment constraints in mind, okay, would change. So, is there a scenario that would exist where you would put a deposit on a car? And that due to constraints or due to changes in allocation, you get bumped off the list. Pete's car was almost a, a 15. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he kept getting bumped back, and we were at the edge of the cutoff for building a car that would be a the first model year of the C7. Mm. And, and, and if he kept... I think it, I think we were within weeks. This is good. We're we're all we're we're down all the way to the last post. <laughs> <laughs> we we were within a couple of weeks of Pete's being pushed right. off the 2014. Ah, because you had to go the next month. Then model year would be different. The month right. of, yeah. Count count the post-its here. There's one, two, three, three post-its in May. All right. Three post-its, three changes of status where I'm going down the list all right then the constraint got this is after they warned me they said you're probably going to end up getting a 15 i said no i'm not i'm going for a 14 right you know that's it it means too much to me to have a 2014 and there's some phone conversations here with gm regional so the people that are signing the slots all right presto changeo after those conversations right here we are in June twelfth. Mm-hmm. I'm second. Oh, here's the 
here's the phone logs here with the GM people. All right. How do you get access to all this information? Okay. Pete, 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 Pete. Yeah, this is this is Pete being Pete. Yeah, Pete's yeah. hound dog. When he says thing. he's looking up the order on the computer, yeah. that's that's what he gets. Uh, ah, and you'll okay. notice there's one for every every move of the allocation constraint list. Okay. So I was there. <laughs> so most people really have no idea, right? They they put in their order, they Jesse, choose their be, options. It's weird seeing documents that you printed out five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly preserved. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. I, I don't want to betray, but I had my sources to get information. I understand. Most people don't get. Okay. But well, that's because is, I was six foot four, 275 yeah, pounds. Yeah, this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. So then there's the tada. I finally made it to 2000, accepted by GM. And then it was cast in concrete from that point. But again, the date. 617, five days after being number two. Mm. I had to wait in that number two slot for five days before I went accepted. Because that was at the point where they got all their ducks in a row, right? All the parts were available. There was an opportunity on the manufacturing floor, and they were ready to go. They're ready to start getting all the parts and putting them in a box and saying, okay, guys, build this into a car. Ah, at that point. But we fast forwarded past you almost missing uh, Kentucky over some floor mats. Yeah. I, that was in the previous podcast. Okay. <laughs> you right. haven't watched the podcast. Yeah. No, that was that was the whole sinkhole thing and everything. Yeah. Oh, the sinkhole. I remember that story. Yeah. Yeah. The sinkhole was. The whole museum like imploded. But, you know, the, the, we'll retell the story. But what happened was is when I had gone through the order list and placed the order on the 13th of December, which did not get keyed in until the 24th of December. <laughs> I lost two goddamn weeks with you guys sitting on the order. But, um, yeah, I, I'd ordered floor mats. Yeah, oh, floor mats. Yeah, floor mats. Right. Well, turns out that floor mats are a dealer install option, not factory bowling green. Mm. Right. But I'd also ordered for a Bowling Green delivery, all right, which was higher on the option list. So when I ordered the floor mats, because that was dealer installed, it threw the order out. GM couldn't couldn't comprehend how is this possible. If he's picking the car up in Bowling Green, he can't have floor mats. So they made the arbitrary decision, he wants the floor mats. Forget the Bowling Green delivery. <laughs> no. I thought, are you nuts? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'll get the floor mats after the fact. All right, so we had to go in in February. You were you were on board then. Yeah. You helped me straighten that out. Yeah, I, I was part of getting that that yeah. fixed. It's it's amazing how sometimes business processes get in the way of customer service, right? Because this business yeah. has to be done a certain way, and sometimes those are decisions are arbitrary. Sometimes they don't make sense, like this floor mat thing, but it ends up throwing a monkey wrench in the process, right? Right, and sometimes it's decisions that are made without by people who don't have direct consumer contact. So they're making the best decision, and and as far as they can see, um, that this is the most efficient way to to move forward with this. But those those of us who have to tell Pete that he's not (laughs) going to Kentucky because an engineer somewhere decided that floor mats were more important than this drive it's it's not a good decision if you ask us so you know i don't think anybody maliciously said well he just doesn't get to go to kentucky yeah of course they are everyone's trying to do their best they're doing their best but sometimes there's just these conflicts of what the best actually is yes at the time that's a fair point at the time i was told by shane webb at the museum he says, it's done by computer. He says, no human did that. Oh, yeah, they bumped your order because of the Because of the computer, the way the order sheet works, mm-hmm. okay, the bottom ones have the option of throwing out the top ones. He says, the only way around this is to remove the floor mats from the order. And that's what we did. We took the floor mats off the order, resubmitted the order. It hit Bowling Green at 845. 
And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the sinkhole happened. <laughs> so, yeah, pay attention to my damn order. <laughs> yeah. So I was rescued at that point. You recognize that signature? Yep, that's that's me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Very much a part of my life. It's just polite. Most polite sales guy I've ever had in my life. So we're, we're talking about the whole Chevrolet ordering process, but mm-hmm. you have experience with Mercedes and, uh, yeah. and how it's done. And how are the pro- is the process similar? Is it different? Or? Um, it is, except Stugart is much further away than Kentucky yeah. is. Um, and there's this neat thing called European delivery where cars that are actually built in Germany, you can choose to have a curated tour of Germany in your car drive it on the Autobahn and have all the arrangements made for you to then get your car back over here in the United States. And I don't know if I've told you this, but um, maybe I did in a phone call, but there's a guy's name is Herbert Hammer. He's an actual German guy Mm -hmm. and he sells Mercedes Benz. He's a European delivery specialist. And I've, I've heard about this guy before I had any intention or any thought of ever joining Mercedes Benz. He's he's that big. Um, and so I go to a Mercedes-Benz dealership and get hired on to do what, what I do there. And there's this guy in this office upstairs, and it says Herbert Hammer. And oh. I'm like, holy smokes. You're <laughs> that that guy. And here's this little German guy. He comes out, and he's talking about <laughs> schnitzel and, you know, all that stuff. So we're actually working together on a few projects to get him on YouTube and, and kind of expand what it is that, cool. that he does. But I've been able to sit in his office now and talk with him about what it is that he does. He's like a, a uh, an amazing travel agent who happens to give you the supercar while you're there. Really? Yeah. And it's it's such an awesome experience. I'm, I'm tempted to, to do it myself just for the experience of going to Germany and being able to tour that factory. I've toured the factory here um, in Alabama. It's in, uh, in Vance, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to go to, to Germany and see the cars being built there and then drive it on, you know, the legendary Autobahn. Well, yeah. Would just be incredible. The way that he talks about it, like he goes back and forth to Germany like every four or five months just to go pick up cars and then bring them back to the U.S. Wow. Yeah. So I, I'm interested in that. Like, So if, if you buy a car that's manufactured in Germany and you want to bring it to the United States, aren't there all sorts of regulatory requirements to allow it to come to America or even into California? So there, there are already cars that are, are designated for the United States. Uh, so Mercedes-Benz doesn't make their entire lineup here in this country. There's specific models that are made here for the AMG stuff um, and most of the lineup that's actually still built in Germany. It's something that's going to be going on a boat and shipped over here anyway. Mm. So those cars have already passed all of the regulations, already built to U.S. spec. You just get the privilege of going and picking it up from the factory. Okay. And experiencing it on German roads before you take delivery of it in the United States. Right. So that's, again, just a fabulous experience. Right. And people do it over and over again. Oh, yeah. They they do it. They'll lease a car and do it every three years just to make this. And they'll take their family and they'll they'll just go and spend a bunch of time. This is the pursuit of happiness, man. Right. (laughs) Right. It's all centered on this on this car and I see them them come in Herbert's actually in Germany uh, right now as uh, cool. as we speak yeah. um, so I'm dealing with some of uh, he hands me a kind of like Pete got handed to me he hands me a, <laughs> a, a few sheets of paper says hey can you call these people can you get in touch with them they want to do this car or that car so I'm kind of dealing with uh, buttoning up some things for him right now but uh, he'll be thrilled that his name was mentioned uh, in the podcast when, oh, he, great. when he comes back um, so, so yeah it's the same thing, though. As a dealership, we get a certain number of these vehicles. And it could be something, a, a high-demand vehicle like the, the G550 or even uh, rarer, the G63 or something like that. That's the, um, the G-Wagon. Mm-hmm. And people are just clamoring for these vehicles. But you only get a handful if you're a new dealership like the one that, that I'm at. 
right now. Even the the big guys, like at up in Orange County or, or Riverside, like the Fletcher Joneses and those guys, they only get a handful of these these very rare hand built machines, and so they have to be really careful about overselling their allocation, and then not promising consumers a vehicle that they have no idea when they're going to even have the allocation, no less when it's going to be built and sent to their dealership. Mm. And so when Pete was mentioning earlier that you have to find the right dealership, it, it it's super important because I was fortunate enough to experience two Chevrolet dealerships when the C7 launched. I was at one that got that handful mm-hmm. and experienced what that was like. And then I transitioned to another that was the Corvette Superstore mm. in the previous generation. And so there was just, I mean, Pete has it here, there's this list, this ongoing list of people who actually have a car that's going to be be built for them. So when you talk about going to the dealership, it's not just the sales guy or the experience at the dealership or how open they're going to be to you coming in every week. <laughs> That's just the visits. What about the phone calls? Right, right. The text messages and the emails and the, I've never been cc'd on so many emails with uh, with <laughs> higher ups in the on the manufacturer side with my personal emails. That's actually pretty cool. Um, but it also comes down to is the does the dealership actually have that car? There are dealers who will take your deposit just to take you off the market. And then they'll scramble and find the car. And then they'll do everything. Remember, we talked a little bit earlier about how dealers play the game to increase their allocation. Well, one of those games is to hold on to a bunch of deposits. And you may upset some people. You may push people from a 14 to a 15 because you really didn't have that allocation. But at the end of the day, you sold that many more units. Hmm. So now your allocation may go up for the next go round. Right. Right, right, because they're trying to sell the customer and fulfill their needs, but also boost their allocation for next year. Right, yeah, right. So yeah, you got to play the game, and and if you're near that end of year cutoff, you, they might drag their feet a little. Not saying they always do, but some might. Right, and so you're you may make that deal, but you're trading customer satisfaction, yeah, yeah. loyalty, yeah, repeat business, um, and, and that type of thing for for a a deal on a. On a car, this is interesting because I've never ordered a custom car, but whenever I you will be oh I think I will now yeah <laughs> um, I know the process I know yeah. all the secrets so I know how to do but, I know uh, a guy who can get you to Germany uh, yeah yeah I bet you do yeah um, but uh, uh, oh so it's interesting as a car buyer when I'm shopping you know I'm thinking about. The salesperson. Who do I feel I have a good relationship with? Who can I trust? Who's going to give me a good value? And then, do they have the car? You know. But I never really think about allocation and all these other things. Now, granted, a lot of this is in the custom space, mm-hmm. where I usually just order a car and with a trim package, and then I'm good. You know. But maybe I need to be thinking more custom. You know, not settling for just the you know the gold, silver, bronze you know accessory package. Well, this is kind of where um, when we were talking before we started recording, where I talked about <coughs> the emotional side of car buying. Oh yeah, that ordering a custom car like this takes just about all of the emotion out of it until the car arrives. I think Pete may have cried. <laughs> But I'm not going to look at him. He's he's tearing up right now. (laughs) So it it takes all of that emotion out of it because you want exactly, you have an opportunity to get exactly what you want. Yeah. Right? Whereas if the car is on the ground and it's close and you like the person who you're talking to about it and you just took an amazing test drive after they just did a phenomenal walk around and talked to you about the features that are really important to you on this car that, again, it's not exactly what you want, but it's close. Yeah. You may make a decision to go, that's my car. Yeah, well, I've done that. I've I've compromised and said, maybe I don't need that extra thing. I I can do without it. Right. 
or more more frequently because the way that manufacturers are packaging things now you used to be able to get features a la carte right right you could if you wanted this thing you can get a car with this thing now it's if you want this thing it comes with five other things that you may not care about exactly but that's part of the package right now right right so more often than not you may be taking a car that has more on it than you necessarily want it and that dealer was able to get you emotionally attached and then yeah. make you a, a great deal on that car right well that's exactly with my car because i i got a sunroof and i didn't really care but right. it was in that package so right. i just said okay i got a sunroof right i'll deal with the, the sunroof yeah right you don't open it in the daytime do you no. Okay. Yeah. Don't open your sunroof in the daytime. It's a nighttime thing. I don't yeah. know why they call it a sunroof. Yeah, exactly. Because all the times when I play around with it, I'll open it up, and it will be during the day. And I'm thinking, well, frick, I'm getting all these you know, UV rays or like flying right. into the car, probably frying my head. Yeah. And, but yeah, it's a nighttime thing. It is a nighttime thing. I have never heard it presented that way. I'm, I have a bald head under this AMG hat. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I on the convertibles, I keep the top up during the day. Yeah. And I keep the sunroofs closed during the day as well. At nighttime, tops come down, sunroofs open. Ah. Because the whole California convertible thing, you think of it as a daytime thing, right? But not as a... Sunset. Well, my whole perspective has changed on there this. There you go. <laughs> my, my first Corvette was a 94 C4. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the dash, it had a little emblem. Just as it starts to go vertical from the console, this is made for, and there was a guy's name there. That's how I get exposed to the custom delivery. Ah. Okay. Because that car you bought was previously custom made. Previously custom made. Yeah. All right. It was, it was the uh, black rose color. Ah. He ordered a black rose. There were only five hundred of them made. Okay. With black rose paint. Yeah. But he ordered that one. Yeah. That's what put the idea. This was uh, 2000, yeah, right around 2000 when I had that car, right? And uh, I was impressed. So that piece of paperwork with your signature on it, it came to that moment. What do you want on your dashboard? Oh. All right. I said, no, I don't want it made for. That sounds like I was not in control of it. Ah. So I had to waiver that. Okay. And have a custom-made thing on the dashboard. So that's what this form is about, where yep. I said, specified by ah. Pete Neal. <laughs> and Mike signed off on it, and that's what could put on the dashboard of my car. <laughs> nice. But but think about how how big a feature that is. I don't even remember how much that cost. Was it 500 bucks, 750 or something insignificant compared to the cost of the car? Yes. But Pete was so impacted by the car that he had previously having this guy's name on it. Yeah. That he decided, I'm going to put my name on a car. And here's Chevrolet and General Motors saying, here's your opportunity to put your name on a car so that when this car is being driven long after you're gone, I do believe you're going to live forever, but sometime after that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. somebody's going to go specified by Pete Neal, and your name's going to be associated yeah. with this, it'll this, be one of the grand, this it'll amazing be one of the cars. Yeah, right now, I think, I think Eli, my three-year-old grandson, has probably got the inside track on it now because he's still wrapped up. But Maddie... My five-year-old, uh, yeah, six-year-old, she just started, yeah. She's, I mean, she she can spot Corvettes coming five miles away. She's well-trained by her She's grandfather. well-trained well by grandpa. Yeah. Are things said in podcasts legally binding? As I think maybe the kids might pull that up. Oh, right? oh, oh, yeah. This is, this is look, it's <laughs> it is in the trust. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole page on what happens to Calypso in the trust. I wouldn't there expect is? anything yeah, less. That is awesome. <laughs> this is one of probably three books. Yeah. yeah. This is one yeah. of three books. And then I think there's a um, like a board still yeah. with a lot of stuff on it. It goes, it. To, it goes to every show. Yeah. Goes to every, every so car. there's a there's a lot that that Pete does with this car, and 
I think it's I think it's super cool. I think when we were talking earlier about the emotional side, yeah, this is what this is why I got into the business because I like cars. Yeah, I like cars that don't make sense. You can't see out of a Corvette, Who, it, right? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, to to buy this car that you can't really even see out of. You know, there's much more practical cars mm-hmm. that are available. Who needs to be able to drive that fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's been with me. He went yeah. to Long Beach Grand Prix with me. Yeah. So, you know, it's, so, but but there's something about it that Calypso and, and Pete to me are one and the same. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. It's part of his personality. It's his is part of his identity. And that car, yeah. You know, I can recognize that car even without the stickers. I can look at the wheel. It would take take the slow traffic move over. Take the Hawaii <laughs> sticker off. Take the the track badges off of Calypso. I can recognize Calypso just by the color, the interior color, and the wheel package, and the fact that it's a Z fifty one. I would go. That might be Pete that just blew by us going the other way on the mm. on the freeway. I've done that. I know. I know. He's pick, he's picked me out of blind traffic. Wow. Of yeah. course, I got to talk to you about texting and driving because I don't want you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm going down Interstate eight and I get this text and I go. Oh, Mike just spotted me. <laughs> so let, let's say someone wants to order a car. Maybe they've never ordered a custom car. Okay. So what are some tips or hints that you would give them that maybe a, the, a, a regular salesperson really doesn't know about? Um, wow, that's a big question. Um, I would say to to know what you want, but be open to the suggestions of professionals. Hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll back that off a little bit and go to a little bit of just just car customization, okay? Because we can also customize a car that's already built, okay? Okay, um, and we have people who we use to do different things. And so, for example, if the car is just right, except it's the wrong color seating, and we're going to have the seats redone for you, there's color swatches with. 128 different colors on it everywhere from from white to black every color in between there and some of them are beautiful in cars some of them look really good as a swatch but if you put it in the car it's going to be hideous right right okay Mm -hmm. you as a consumer you might look at this and go this is the color i usually say hey just give me an idea of what it is you want it to look like because the people who we use have a better eye for Recreating what you're envisioning this is going to look like right. at the end. Because I've had it happen where people insisted that this is the color, this is the feature, and we go, all right, and build that car. And it arrives and they go, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't what I thought right. it was going to be. Yeah. And now we have a problem. And that, I actually wanted to circle back to that um, because when it comes to deposits and your, your custom building this car, as a dealer, for the most part, when you put a deposit down on a car, like Pete mentioned that statistic earlier, the 70%, a lot of people do back out of stuff. Stuff happens. You might yeah. have something come up with the family or yeah, another yeah. car comes out. Or you learn that the next model year is going to have a nine-speed transmission, so you did your weight. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So as a dealer, when you take these orders – you're looking at the order as if they're going to back out and you're going to be left with this car because this is taking some of your allocation. Uh-huh. So if they back out, it doesn't mean that you just get to reorder the car. Yes. That car is coming like that order went in. Even with all the illogical, crazy things right. that they ordered. So we used to say, look, if you're going to make something funky, we're going to need a lot more money up front. Yeah. We're going to have you sign something that says this is not refundable right yeah because what happens is you ordered this yellow car with this orange interior and pink stripes yeah this thing's gonna sit on a lot and have birthdays <laughs> yeah it will right yeah, it will so we have to as a dealer protect our bottom line and say okay well, we're gonna take a little bit more skin yeah so that you know if you do decide that once this thing gets here it's not quite what you what you like and you want to leave it we're not Sitting on this, how much were the first C7s getting up to? Up to $90,000 piece of merchandise that literally nobody wants, not even the person who ordered it. Yeah, exactly. 
You, you see what I'm saying? hundred percent. Yeah. So that that was. I'm glad we got to circle back to that. Um, any Mike, other tips? Mike drove me to the bank. <laughs> I said, like, we are doing this right now. <laughs> yeah. I thought it would be the end of yeah. our journey. Did, so did you put down more than a thousand bucks? No. Okay. I put a thousand dollars down. And because of the relationship I developed with the dealership, everybody at that dealership, I mean, he was my point man, eventually. Okay. But they knew you were committed. They knew I was committed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I can show you where it's yeah. entered in. This guy is not going away. Right. <laughs> for other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it came back. The car was built. It was sitting in Bowling Green. Okay. I could have backed out. I could have walked away. And they're stuck with a blue C7 sitting in Bowling Green. Right. And that would have screwed them to tears. So when I came in, man, I'll tell you, I've never been <laughs> taken care of so well in all my life. I mean, it came time to get the money out of the bank. You know, Mike drove me over. <laughs> you know, I sure did. Stood there with me at the teller. Oh. Well, I got the check cut. Oh, know, to make the, to make the to official make the full yeah. payment of the car. Right. Yeah. Wow. Right. I wanted that check, you know, to be in my book. Yeah, right. exactly. That's, That's another page. On the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not every day you're walking around with a $75,000 check. Well, yeah. 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 But, you know, you got what you wanted. You got what I wanted. And that want. what's beautiful about this um, yeah. is that you don't you, – you, this is a reflection of you. Yeah. I mean, there's – well, him too. Yeah. I mean, he helped me a lot. Uh, in the whole process, I talked to um, Matt Lyons a few months ago. Did you really? By the way, yeah, he's doing pretty well. He actually asked about you. Did this he? is the impact that Pete's had on the people who he's interacted with in the process of, of building this car. Matt Lyons is the guy that said, I can't help this guy, I can't answer his questions anymore. <laughs> Matt, Matt Lyons, Matt Lyons worked with me at the first dealership mm -hmm. and left for his own reason. Sure. And went to the second dealership. I ended up at the second dealership just because I went to go and visit him there. Just to because he was a, a friend in the business. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I went there, happened to run into some people who I knew from years past and they made an offer and I, I, I yes, I'm going to well, you're one of San Diego's Come most popular here. car guys, right? Right. That's that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Used to be the bow tie guy. You, I'm still beardy bow tie on Twitter. Is that right? Yeah, that's part of my my thing. I haven't. I, I'm still the, the. You know, it's not a Chevrolet bow tie anyway. It's still, it's still the Chevrolet bow tie. Um, I actually tell a lot of Mercedes Benz people that I'm a Chevy guy and and talk about my experience there and um, how the brands relate in, in a lot of ways. Um, once I was finally onboarded at the second dealership, Matt left. He was waiting for me to come on board. And then he said, here, here's Pete. <laughs> Good luck. I'm yeah. gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's been quite an experience. I do a lot of um, shows and outside marketing type things. And I think, what was the first show that we did? Was it... Um, like it was the La Mesa, right? Yeah, one of those Mesa show. Um, car show things. But the one he'll get a kick out of is the one you set me up with at the stadium for the EV cars. That was fascinating. Yeah, that was that right. was pretty cool. I didn't. I wasn't at that one. Yeah, that was that was not a Corvette thing. It was right. focused on EVs. But because I'd helped him out in prior shows, mm -hmm. they, sent me, they sent me down to the, be a spokesman. On Pete's becoming uh, San Diego's second favorite car guy. Right on. <laughs> no, 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 no. 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 But I'll, I'll tell you, I learned a lot about EVs. You did? Good. Yeah, at that show. Yeah. And the people that buy them, the people that are interested in them. It's a I'm different right. breed, right? It's a different breed. Yeah. You're right in the demographics, John. I'm sorry to tell yeah. you. But you're so I have a Hyundai Kona EV. So I just got that about four months ago. How do you like it? Love it. Yeah, 300 miles on a single charge. No gas range extender or anything like that? Zero. Nothing. That's cool. 
Yeah, and our we have two EVs, and we have our home is powered by solar. So nice. we have our own little ecosystem. You're driving on sunshine. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. That's what we say. We're driving on sunshine. driving on sunshine. Yeah. Okay, with a sunroof for the nighttime. <laughs> right, sunroof is for nighttime. <laughs> but uh, my favorite picture for John right now is the trip I did across country just this last. And I've got the dashboard showing a hundred. 520-mile driving yeah. range. Yeah, you have a little more range. Then, you know, that'll change. Give it The battery technology will yeah. evolve further. Yeah. Give it some time. You get up around 500 miles. Wendy and I are going up to uh, Tahoe. Uh, I'm going to, going to Laguna Seca. Yeah. But after Laguna Seca, the week after, Wendy and I are going up to Lake Tahoe to see your sister's new place up there. Mm-hmm. And this will be the first time Wendy and I have gone on a road trip Ah. in Calypso. Ah. All right. The first thing she said, no more than five hours. I says, I can do Tahoe, no problem. She says, no, five hours max. So right. pick a spot in between. We're spending two days to make this trip. That sounds like a time attack challenge. Ah, uh, jeez. See if we can get to Tahoe in five hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you could probably do it if uh, everyone else is looking the other way. Of course, the Corvette Caravan, halfway across the country now, they're about to run into the storm fronts. Oh, wow. Left six thousand cars from the West Coast are going to Bowling Green right now. They're in, in process. They're in process. Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Six thousand Corvettes at Bowling Green, the, and they're on their way. They're on their way from all different parts of the. Oh, band. from other. <laughs> yeah, from all over the country. Okay. All right. Ten of them from Hawaii. That's crazy. People put their cars on a freighter to L.A. So they could go to Bowling Green for the 25th anniversary of the museum. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I'm not the only nut job in the world. <laughs> but, you know, people are just passionate about cars, you know? And it right. it doesn't matter what category you are, you know, there, there's a love affair. It's part of the Southern California culture. Right. You know, it's, it's just awesome. All right. Well, I got – I learned four new things in this conversation about allocation and constraint. That I didn't know. What did you learn? Uh, okay. All right. So you, I'm sure we'll have phone calls and emails later. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. I, I've enjoyed meeting you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We, I, I learned a great deal. I think my next car needs to be a custom car. I know a guy. I, you know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mike, Mike Polite, Pete Neal, thank you very much. Um, and uh, Mike, do you want to leave any contact information if they want to get a hold of you? Or, um, or I think you, the, the best way to get a hold of me now is via Instagram. I'm um, secure the keys on Instagram. Uh, Twitter is Beardy Bowtie. I should probably change that to where they're the same thing. But I, I'm having a hard time letting go of the, uh, the Beardy Bowtie thing because Chevrolet was so much a part of my identity yeah. for, for so long. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I'll keep it. Um, yeah, that, that's it. Okay, and then you can help people out getting a custom car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right absolutely. on. Okay. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you to the audience for joining us here on episode number 73 of the John Riley Project.